Good morning. Oh my goodness, how God loves this house. Absolutely. I, you know, this morning, it was not your dog that woke you up or your crying baby. It was the mercy of God. The mercy of God kissed you this morning and woke you up. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you grateful for his mercy? So I am just really, truly honored to be here and to, you know, you've graciously received me into your home, this beautiful home. And uh, can I tell you how blessed you are? You know, y'all, I'm from the South, so interpretation for y'all, you know what that means, right? You all. Y'all are blessed. You get to eat filet mignon every weekend. I had filet last night, and if you did not hear this message that your pastor, Pastor Jared, preached, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, so you are truly blessed, and and I'm not doing the obligatory guest speaker has to honor the pastor's thing here, okay? I'm very sincere that I love these two, and I love the leadership team you have here, and I think we need to honor them. Can we just take a second and extend our appreciation? And I'm just taking all the women home with me in my heart, if that's okay with you. So, you know, God is absolutely amazing, isn't he? How he just weaves the body of Christ together and and what a beautiful family we make. And speaking of family, I'd love to show you a picture of my family. Uh, I am here at the blessing of this gorgeous man, my husband, Dennis, and my beautiful daughter, Lauren, who's 27. And I'm thrilled because she's a PK that doesn't hate Jesus and doesn't hate ministry. In fact, she's a children's pastor at New Life Downtown Colorado Springs and talk about the legacy. It's so beautiful to see this family and Jared and Devet's children are following their parents into ministry, which says they're not hypocrites. They do it right. Okay. So can I just point out the obvious and <laughs> say how good God is? But Anyway, my husband sends his love, and I am here under his covering, as well as the covering of this house. And covering is a beautiful thing. Can I get an amen from all the women? So in this house, I know you have a custom which I also want to honor. Would you stand to your feet as we read the word of God, beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I love the New Living Translation. So once they put it up on the screen, we can all read it together. Here we go. Ready? He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. And we can all celebrate that. So if you will be seated, let's go before the Lord. Lord, how we love your word. And we're not satisfied with the level of love that we have for your word, Lord. We, we want to love your word more. 
You know, if there's any prayer I want to pray every day, it's this one. Jesus, I want to love your word more because it's more than a book. It's not history. It is your story. It is my story. It is our story. So, Lord, as we go into your word, may I do it honor. May I serve this house well. And may we all walk away with the revelation that you intend for us to have this morning. And anyone and everyone that agrees with that says, amen, amen. And I love the way the New Living Translation just kind of enunciates that we have to stop evaluating from a human point of view because the human point of view is lacking, right? And, and we, new, we now begin to, after the new life, we begin to evaluate life according to a divine point of view. And the way we do that is we get in the Word. And the Word renews our mind and the way we think and the way we see things. Because we know that we have a God who is all about setting things right and restoring things as they should be. Would you agree? And so when we look at this passage in Galatians 3.28, he says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now I know today there is some confusion about whether we're male or female. But I want to tell you, there is no confusion in Christ. And what he's pointing out in the scripture, the implication here is one. We are all one. And one represents unity, does it not? And unity indicates restoration and sameness, equality. You see, there was a restoration that was needed in our relationships as a result of the fall. And so this new life in Jesus brings us new hope. And here's the bumper sticker for this message. When we view life from God's viewpoint, we see the value he has given all. I mean, that's, that's the trick, isn't it? Is, is looking at life, looking at people, no matter what their socioeconomic status, no matter what their education, no matter what their gender, when we view people through this lens of love, then we see everyone the way he intended us to see them because he has restored us all to this place. It's just that we don't all have the ability to necessarily see what he's done. We need to see the complete work, do we not? God is good. So what we are about to explore this morning is going to benefit all of us. We're going to have a much more beneficial vantage point because I want to talk a little bit about the new hope in particular that God has brought to women. Now, before you get nervous, don't worry. Where I'm going to go with this word is going to benefit everyone in this house, both male and female. In fact, can I say to the gentleman in the room, you, you have a lot to do. You, you have a huge role and helping women, your wives, your daughters, your mothers, your coworkers, you have a huge role in helping us see our value. And so I believe that by the end of this message, you won't be nervous anymore. Even if you're still nervous, come see me and I'll refund your money, okay? So the title of my message is, What About the Wife? 
You're in a family series. So I thought I'd just kind of bring this perspective that the Lord has shown me and has blessed my life. You see, when I came into my relationship with Jesus, I came out, uh, I was raised a Catholic, and I got saved in my early 20s. And so I had a very limited knowledge of his word. Because as a young Catholic girl, you are not encouraged, or I was not encouraged to read the word. In fact, I probably felt like I wouldn't be able to understand it, so just let others do that for you. And so when I came into this new relationship with Jesus and I began to read the word, I read things and saw things that I never dreamed I would see in regards to the way Jesus looked at women. And so I want to share this with you. The first point is there is new hope because in him we discover new value. You know, here's the thing that I noticed about Jesus, that in every interaction that Jesus had with women, he showed them respect and he treated them as equals. And it's pretty amazing to me that he did that. His attitude was an incredible contrast to the cultural norms of his day. Absolutely. Over and over, he restored dignity and value to women. And I want you to know this. It was not accidental. Not at all. It was very intentional. In fact, you watch the life of Jesus and you see, you know, Jesus had no problem breaking traditions of men that didn't line up with the values of his father. In fact, he operated under a higher law, the law of love. Over and over, he was painting this picture. But he was such a contrast to the mentality of that day. In fact, here's the contrast. You might not believe this, but this is really true. You can Google it and find out. But in that day, in the Talmud, there was a prayer that Jewish men would pray every single day. It was a part of their morning ritual. And here's the way that it went. Are you ready for this? Blessed are you, Lord God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. I know you're shocked. I wonder if they're still praying that today. Because I have been to Israel several times, and I have been sort of pushed over by some of those men with the big black hats. And I think they probably prayed that prayer as they pushed me aside. But my prayer to them was, bless them, Lord. Open the eyes of their understanding to see Yeshua. Because that's what they need. But see, now it kind of explains some things to me. You know, it begins to make sense in this little blonde brain. You see... I, th I understand if I, every morning, would stand up and pray that prayer, it would, it would cause me to have a certain attitude towards women. If I'm praying, thank God I'm not a woman. <laughs> Don't adopt that prayer, gentlemen. I mean, it's one thing to celebrate who you are. Okay, that I want you to do. But on the other hand, to go, I'm so glad I'm not one of them. That's, that's not the heart of your father. So... It also makes sense then when Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman that the disciples come upon him. This was a little bit scandalous, okay? And they're like, um, Jesus, what are you doing talking to this woman? Okay, they, they are fearful of this because that was the mentality of the day. But I love the beautiful thing about this story. You've heard it many, many times, but I want us to back up and approach this passage again and look at this in this, the story of the Samaritan woman. It's not a story. It's an account. And here we see her. She is at the well in the afternoon. You understand that usually all the women went to get the water in the early morning. But she did 
intentionally came at the afternoon when people were not there because it's hot. You see, in the morning was a social gathering of the women, and back then they didn't send texts. They actually had conversations with one another and didn't, you know, forget it. Anyway, <laughs> so she's there because of who she is. She is not exactly a respected individual. And so she's here by herself. Jesus comes upon her, and he initiates the conversation. And he asked her for a drink. He asked her for water. And, you know, and then the conversation goes back and forth. You're familiar with it. You know, she says, you don't have anything to get it. And he says, I'm living water. And immediately she changes and she says, I want that. I want that. And he says to her, hey, bring me your husband's. What a strange thing to say. But Jesus is very intentional, never accidental. And so she says, um, I don't have a husband. He goes, yeah, that's right. As a matter of fact, you've had five, and the guy you're living with is not your husband. Now, let me back up and halt right here. Because I used to read this all the time, and I would judge this woman, and i think, oh, my goodness, you know, what kind of a woman are you? And then one day I was reading it, and the Lord said, don't be so quick to judge her. And he reminded me of the passage where Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. And they're talking about divorce. And Jesus says this, you know, Moses permitted you to do this but because of the hardness of your heart. And what they did in that day was if a man married a woman, didn't like what he got, he could take her back to Walmart. He would just have to say three times, I divorce thee, I divorce thee, I divorce thee. And she was gone. No, you don't wish you could still do that today. <laughs> Take that thought, cast it down. <laughs> because, so here we are. We, we always look at the one present and we judge them. And yet, perhaps she's not the guilty party in all this. I'm not saying she was without any responsibility, but do you understand this woman had been rejected five times? So in a way, I kind of give her some credit that she kept trying. Like I said, we're trying to look at this from a divine viewpoint. So Jesus, now I understand why Jesus picked her. I do understand it. He's all about restoration and setting things right. And so we know what happens. She goes and tells all these people, and in fact, they, you know, the, the town just gets turned totally upside down. And she had the honor of being the first person that he reveals his calling to. In fact, you see nowhere else in Scripture where Jesus says this. He tells her, I'm the Messiah. Because, again, Jesus is all about restoring and setting things right. So he's very intentional about restoring dignity and value and worth back to everybody, including women. And this is why he allowed a, a prostitute to wash his feet. And this is why when a woman was caught in adultery and thrown before him, he did not stone her. Although, you know, he said, you without sin, you throw the first stone. He was without sin. He could have stoned her. But he chose not to. And he says these words, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he released her with those words to live a different life. It makes sense to me that, you know, then think about this. When Jesus raises from the dead, the first person that he appears to is a woman. Again, this is not accidental. It's intentional. So it makes sense to me when I think about the woman with the issue of blood. You've heard about her a million times, but I want you to understand something about her. If she's been sick 
with the issue of blood for 12 years, that means she was totally removed from society. Because anything she touched or anyone that touched her became ritually impure. So she would have to be totally removed from society for 12 years. And so I believe, the Bible tells us when she heard about Jesus, she pressed through the crowd. You see, I believe what she heard about Jesus was that he was kind to women. I believe that's what gave her the courage to step out, not just in her sickness, but because she would have been rejected and to press through a crowd that she had no business being in the center of so she could get what she was supposed to have all along. I believe his reputation of kindness to women preceded him, and that helped her faith. And I love Jesus, don't you? Because he turns around, and instead of looking at this woman and saying, why did you touch me and make me impure? He says, who touched me? And he praises her. This is why she was trembling. He praises her because what he had got on her. You see, when you come to Jesus, sweetheart, it's not that what you have gets on him. It's what he has gets on you, okay? Because he already took any and every little bit of junk that you and I would ever have, and he took it long before you were even born, even before you were able to commit the sin. He took care of the sin at Calvary, so everything is good. Everything is good. That's why he says, come, come boldly to me. Don't shrink back. Be brave. Be brave. So I look at all these things, and I'm, I'm looking at all these accounts in the Scripture, and, and I have this question to us, ladies. After looking at this Jesus, why then do we need to look to another to be liberated? You see, Jesus... <laughs> Jesus was in the business of restoring women and liberating women long before anybody else into a much higher place. And this was such a revelation to me because you have to understand, in my 20s, before I was born again, and I'm 58 years old, so I grew up in a time when women's liberation was really kind of surging. And to me, at that point, I didn't know Jesus, so I thought that was my answer. I thought, you know, those people were going to help me, and so I was very much a feminist. Now, I do want to say this. Some of the things, some of the equalities that were achieved through the movement, I'm grateful for. The problem is that there was a wrong spirit on the movement, and there were some error in the hearts and the motives of the leaders of that movement. So God always has something better. But that's where I was. I was so independent. I mean, if you would have seen me in my 20s, you would have seen a young woman who was, who was just always in a power struggle, always feeling like I had to prove my worth, you know, having two jobs, doing whatever, climbing that ladder, proving my value. And then I discover, you know, I don't need to look to radical feminists to give value to my life. I need to look to Jesus and rest in what he did. The struggle is over, baby. The struggle is over. Rest in what he did because through salvation, Jesus restores dignity and value and honor as only he can. Number two, there is new hope because in him we discover new purpose. See, this Samaritan woman 
Remember, she was an immoral woman, but no longer. And you look at John 4, 39, it says, Many Samaritans believe in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. Okay, we know when we come to Jesus, he gives us new purpose. So we think, now I have purpose. And in the future, I have purpose. But God is so amazing that he does not stop there. Because look at the statement. She said, he told me everything I ever did. You see, what he did was he took that life of immorality and he made it now a trophy of grace. Do you understand that's what he did with your past? In other words, I look at my life because I was very much like the Samaritan woman. I was immoral. And now I can talk about that dead woman because it now represents a trophy of grace in what God redeemed me from. So not only does he give purpose to your present, only Jesus can give purpose to your past. And it is now a trophy of grace. All glory and honor and praise to him. You know, Montel Jordan is my worship leader at church, and you know, this is how we do, well, this is how he does it. Okay, that's for you, Montel. It irritates him when I do that. I like to irritate. Jesus encouraged women to be his disciples. That's shocking. In fact, he allowed them to travel with him. Look at this in, in Luke chapter 8. He mentions them by name along with the 12 disciples. He talks about going to the nearby towns and villages. And look at the list, okay, along with the 12 disciples. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. I like the kind of Jesus, women Jesus hung out with. And understand, this was not to point out her past. It was to point out her deliverance. Okay, again, a trophy of grace. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their resources to support Jesus. The mentality of Jesus, the divine viewpoint, and the way he treats people, and the way he restores value and dignity and honor is absolutely a beautiful thing. You know, when you look at the story of Martha and Mary, and I know I'm pulling out a lot of things that you're familiar with, but I hope, like me, you're seeing some new things in them. So I want to talk about that account as well with, with Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10. And, and just to set it up, if you don't already know, you've got two sisters here. Jesus is coming to their house. They're freaking out, okay? There was no maid service available. They had to clean the house themselves. And Martha is in the kitchen trying to cook a seven-course meal, and M Mary is somewhere else. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets upset, and she comes over to Jesus, and she's like, nobody's helping me. You know, we can be that way, can't we, ladies? Oh, my goodness. I feel sorry for me. But I love this. Don't look at your wife now, okay? That's not good. I love this because in verse 41, you know, he calms her down and, and he says, my dear Martha, he, he does this in a loving way. He's not rebuking her. You are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Now, why would he say it would not be taken away from her? You see... Martha had relegated herself to only a domestic role. She didn't understand her full purpose. 
Mary did. But you have to understand that statement. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we look at that and we say, oh, we all need to sit at the feet of Jesus, absolutely. But let me, let's go back to the day so we can see the impact. Because the feet of Jesus, the feet of the rabbi, the feet of the teacher, was a position to be occupied by future teachers and future rabbis. So in that day, women were not even granted an education, let alone ministry training. So really, there should, no woman should have, been sit, should have been sitting at the feet of Jesus. That was not her position. But Jesus says, Mary discovered that she could have it, and nobody's kicking her out of it. And he was trying to get Martha to see that she had another choice. She had another choice. Yes, I love feeding my family. Yes, I love taking care of my home because I believe that's a part of my role. I believe God put that nesting thing in us as women. But I know that my purpose is not limited to a domestic role, and neither is yours. Because here's what happened. And the Lord's, this is for somebody, so I want to read this exactly as the Lord said this to me last night. This is for somebody. Anytime we reduce our purpose to mere temporal things, those things end up occupying a larger place in our life than they should. And then there's no fulfillment, no payoff, and we end up frustrated. We should all choose the better thing. So it doesn't matter how many digits are attached to your paycheck. If you don't understand your purpose... You'll never be fulfilled no matter how many more zeros get added to it. Okay? You have to understand your purpose. So it doesn't matter the lack or the multitude of zeros. It's understanding your purpose. So I love that Jesus says, Mary, you can sit at my feet because I'm going to fill you up so that you can give out of the abundance of what you have. And that's simply what he's saying to us as women. Number three, there's new hope because in him we discover our new covering. You know, as I told you, I used to be in a, a very independent person. And one day, in fact, not too long ago, the Lord said to me, Colleen, did you ever wonder why you became so independent? See, there's five kids in my family. I'm the next to the oldest. And for some reason, I am much more independent than the rest of them. And I thought about it. You know, when Jesus asks you a question, I've learned never answer because you're always going to be wrong. When he asks you a question, that's your cue to say, no, Jesus, why? <laughs> and he said to me, he said, Colleen, the reason you became independent is because your father did not cover your heart. Now, I do not want to speak ill of my father. Let me give you just a little snippet of him. He grew up in a home with an alcoholic father and a mother who didn't nurture him. And so he did the best he could. He raised us. He, he provided for us. But he was emotionally removed. And so he corrected me. But he did very little to nurture and encourage me. He was very strict. But this is the way he loved me. But nonetheless, there's lack there because God intends that to happen. Can I, can I just speak to you fathers? 
please cover the hearts of your daughters. And you're, you're probably looking at me like, what in the world does that mean? That means don't be emotionally removed from her, especially as she begins to blossom into womanhood. You want to cover her heart. Her conversations might be silly, but you just show interest in her. You don't have to understand her. You just need to cover her. Okay? Because it, it, you have no idea the value that imparts. I know that my husband did that with my daughter. And as a result of that, the people that she chose to be in relationship were men of valor. It will change everything. And so, please understand, I'm not trying to dishonor my father. But that was definitely lacking in my life. And it was supposed to be there. And so, since it wasn't there, I made a decision at a young age. And at the age of 10, I was molested by a cousin. So, I made a decision at a young age that I had to cover myself. And can I tell you, you can't cover yourself. Just something's always hanging out there, you know? And but he said, but don't worry, darling. He said, despite the lack, I want you to know not only am I going to make up the lack, but I'm also going to do that in exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you could ever even ask me for. Because when we come up and we are missing a covering in our life, we don't even know how to ask for it. But that doesn't matter to him because he knows all and he's a good father. And if you let him give that to you, he will. And I can't tell you how freeing and how liberating that was. And how that helped me understand, you know what? It's okay to depend on somebody. It's okay to receive a covering. It's okay to do this. And I learned then, as I came into this relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm reading Ephesians 5, which is everybody's favorite chapter on the role in the relationship, if you really know this passage, everybody would be laughing. So let's turn there so we can help you. Because when I got married, my husband, he knew that he married a firecracker. Okay. But I was so stubborn and so independent. And it was like this. I mean, we both have very strong, strong personalities. And without Jesus, oh my gosh, we'd be, we'd be one of those reality programs on how to not do life like the Rouses, okay? So glad they're not calling me to do that program. But I had to stop viewing the passages that we're about to read about the covering and submission, every woman's favorite word. I had to stop viewing those things as punishment and see it what it is for protection. I had to graduate from distrust to trust. So let's go into these passages. He says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. As a brand new bride, one of the things my husband gave me when I got saved, by the way, he led me to the Lord. He gave me a Bible. And do you know what he did for me, which was so kind? He circled that very passage for me. He circled it with a pen. And he circled it so hard, I can find it even when I'm in Revelations. There it is. For husbands... 
This means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washing by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Thank you, sir. You see, there's nothing wrong with the concept of headship. Nothing wrong. This is not out of date. It still absolutely works. But for it to work, <laughs> for this concept to work, it's not the rules of engagement that needs to be changed. It's the people involved that need to be changed. And we all have to come into submission to the Holy Spirit. We all have to come under the covering of the Holy Spirit. Amen? You can clap at that because that's good preaching. You see, wives need to be women worth laying their life down for, husband's life down for. And men, you need to be men worth submitting to. I know I'm preaching so good, and you're so happy about this message. <laughs> you know, wives, we, we expect our husbands. In the morning when we wake up, you know that I woke up like this picture. You will never see one of those on mine. It'll be fake. I'll have makeup on. Okay. When we wake up in the morning, we are not the most delightful sight. And then there are times of the whatever that we are not the most delightful individuals. And yet we expect our husbands to love us even when we're irritable. But how about the flip side of that? When our husbands are not honoring and loving, we're still supposed to respect them. Oh, it got really quiet. So we, we have to get this right. We have, to, we have to have this divine point of view to see the value. You see, covering and submission has more to do with love than it does anything else. It, it, it is here for our protection. It's the, it's the position that love occupies. You see, what makes this doable and what helped me, because see, the experiences in my life had taught me not to submit or trust. But you and I, we all have to make a decision along the journey. When we encounter truth, are we going to now continue to go by experiences to guide us or the truth to guide us? And so I had to make a choice to choose love. Because love is a very important perspective. The Bible says that love is ever ready to believe the best. It's all about perspective. For example, let's talk about selfies. I know there is not one single person in this room who does not know what a selfie is. So we all know about selfies, right? And people take them all day long. But now selfies have evolved because now we have something new called the selfie stick, I'm on the beach in Florida, and I see people walking around with these things, and I'm thinking, get a life, you know, put the, <laughs> you're bringing it to the beach, but why do we need the selfie stick? I'll tell you why. Because when I've tried to take a selfie, I notice something unusual happens. My, I can't get my arm far enough away so that my nose doesn't look bigger than it really is. <laughs> and we can't have ourselves not looking perfect in the selfie. And so the selfie stick has been created to help that very thing because it's all about perspective and angle when you're taking a picture. 
I mean, you have somebody taking a photograph of you, and if you're a woman and this guy comes up and goes like this, we go, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're not uh, up here. <laughs> and we know the pose and everything. Right? Am I preaching right? Because in order for us to look pretty, it's all about the perspective. Can I tell you, ladies, in order for covering and submission to look pretty, it's all about your perspective. You got to view it through love. It's not punishment. It's protection. And when you come under the covering, amazing things happen. You watch your husband go from a grumpy old cat to the most amazing, gentle lover you ever met in your life. Uh, I'll refund you if that doesn't work, too. You see, <laughs> one day I was complaining to the Lord about having to submit to someone who was a little bit ornery, because after all, I was perfect. And the Lord said to me, Colleen, you know, you realize that your difficulty with submission isn't about your husband, it's about your flesh. Ouch. It's true. See, we have this kind of warped view through the lens of society that says submission is weakness. Well, if submission is weakness, does that mean rebellion is strength? You see, the difficulty we have with submission doesn't have to do with our husbands. It has to do with our flesh because the will is tricky to surrender. And we're surrendering to the word of the Lord. We're surrendering by faith. Anything you do in faith, God honors so you can surrender and submit in a posture, but not in your heart. That's not going to be blessed. You surrender in an entirety. This is why he says, in all things, ladies. He's not talking about you got to submit to every little detail your husband tells you. He's saying the attitude and the totality of your heart. There's a submission to honor and respect and to allow him to cover you. Because it is your place of protection. Amen. Because if you allow no one to lead you, then you only be able to take yourself as far as you can go. That's really deep. You'll have to think about it. So we need to allow ourselves to be led and allow ourselves to be covered. Because he has restored value to us. He's restored purpose to us. And I hope this morning that you've also gained a new understanding of the covering that he's placed in your life. He is good, isn't he? Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus.